Well, if you would, please take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And uh, while you turn there, I'll just say uh, a special thank you to our choir and to uh, Ben Hancock and Kristen Cohn for uh, the hours of work that they put into uh, to this presentation for us this evening. It's good to have our attention turned toward uh, the Christmas story, which um, ultimately is the story of of our redemption. It's the first, uh, the first step in it. And so I hope you enjoyed the, the program this morning. And I want to finish this morning by uh, just turning our attention to just one portion of the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. And then we'll, um, we'll, uh, we'll, be, we'll be done for, for the day. But let's begin in, in uh, Luke chapter 2 in verse 1, uh, reading the first 20 verses together. A familiar passage, but uh, this is where we'll turn our attention today. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we turn our attention uh, toward the Christmas story this morning, uh, help us to overcome the familiarity of the story and to see it with fresh eyes and to have uh, hearts that are impacted by the truth of your word. As we consider the meaning of Christmas this morning, Lord, let this change the way we, we look at the next couple of days and weeks so that we might rejoice in your goodness afresh uh, this coming Christmas season. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, what can often happen in a, a season like this is that the meaning of special days uh, gets lost in the festivities that accompany those days. So this doesn't just happen at the Christmas time. 
Uh, but this happens at other holidays as well. So, for, for example, Memorial Day is a set aside as a day to remember those fallen soldiers who uh, have, have lost their lives for our freedoms. And it turns into a day where we remember it more for grilling or for getting together with, with friends. The same could be said for the 4th of July, a day set aside to celebrate uh, the independence of our country. And what happens is we think more about the festivities of parades and of fireworks rather than you know, celebrating the birth of our nation. And Thanksgiving is maybe another day in which this happens where uh, it's set aside as a day to remember and give thanks to God for his goodness in our lives. And it becomes a day where the main focus is overeating and watching football, and planning for Black Friday shopping the next day, right? So we we fail to give attention, appropriate attention to God and give thanks to him. And this is almost certainly true of the Christmas season. In fact, you'll probably remember the famous song that was originally sung by Stevie Wonder, and then after that, every other band since then has done the, the song, What Christmas Means to Me. Remember that one? Okay. And it, it's, it's a reminder of what Christmas is to most people is presents, decorations, mistletoe, caroling, family, etc. You remember the words, right? Candles burning low, lots of mistletoe, lots of snow and ice everywhere we go, choir singing carols right outside my door, all these things and more, all these things and more. That's what Christmas <laughs> means to me, my love. Right? And so that's what, that's what Christmas becomes. It becomes about these particular, particular things. Now, those are all good things, right? Presents are, are good, and decorations are, are pretty, and mistletoe is even, even good if you have someone to share it with, right? So, but, but that's not the meaning of Christmas. And you know, they say that's what Christmas means to me. But, but the meaning of Christmas, you know, as I said, sometimes gets lost in the, the festivities or the things we use to celebrate Christmas. But the meaning of Christmas is, is captured well for us in our passage here in, in Luke chapter 2, where the angels bring this message to the shepherds, and they say this, in verses 10 and 11, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And that right there is the heart of the Christian message. That's what Christian, the, the Christmas message is all about. It is good news of great joy for all people. I want to kind of focus in on that particular statement this morning uh, and, and the, the heart of the Christmas message, but let's begin with uh, first by looking at the setting of this particular passage. All right? In verses 1 through 9, the, the passage is, is set up for us. The setting of this story is, is Bethlehem, And more specifically, the story is uh, the field where shepherds are keeping watch over their flocks at night. But before we get to the field, let's consider how we get to Bethlehem in in the first place. Okay, so Luke begins in chapter 2 in verse 1 with these words, in those days. Now these words, in those days, are referenced back to chapter 1 where a lot has happened in the Christmas story already. John the Baptist, the the forerunner of the Messiah, has been born to Zechariah and Elizabeth, two individuals in their old age. And John, we're told at the end of chapter 1, is beginning to grow. Mary is pregnant with Jesus, but Jesus has not been born yet. And so this is the setting and the backdrop of of chapter 2, or chapter 1 leading into chapter 2. 
And so Luke tells us that this, these were the days. This is what was taking place as the story unfolds. And, and we come into chapter, chapter 2, verse 1, and we see that a decree goes out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered for the purpose of taxation. Now, this taxation, uh, this is what required Joseph and Mary to go to the city of Bethlehem so that they could, uh, so that they could be registered. Because, as we see here in verse 4, Joseph was of the house and lineage of David. Now, there are two important things to note about this statement. First, this taxation shows us why it is that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, even though his parents were living in Nazareth. And all this would happen so that the prophecy that Micah made some 400 years earlier could be fulfilled. Now, Luke doesn't mention this particular prophecy, but Matthew mentions this prophecy in Matthew chapter 2, where the wise men appear before Herod, and, and Herod asks him where this, this Christ, the Messiah, will be born. And their response is, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written in the prophets. And then they quote Micah 5, 2, that, that you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so you can see here God is at work sovereignly in events of history and over the decrees of Caesar Augustus to enable this prophecy to come be fulfilled so that Jesus might be fulfilled as it was prophesied to be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. Now the second thing we notice about this is Luke makes clear that Jesus is coming in the Davidic line. Right? Joseph has to go back to Bethlehem because he's from the house and line of David. And so while Mary and Joseph are there in Bethlehem, the, the time for her to give birth comes and she gives birth to Jesus. And Luke tells us that she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, there's two reasons why we're told that he's wrapped in swaddling clothes and, and laid in a manger. The first is because it, this will be the sign. He's setting up for the shepherds later. This will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. So we're, we're setting the stage for what's to come with the shepherds. But, but more importantly, Luke is showing us the nature of Jesus' humble birth. While most kings are, are born in a palace with great celebration, this king... The, the king of kings, would be born in humble circumstances, showing the nature and purpose of his coming. Right? He came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Now, it's at this point in the story that the text takes us to the outskirts of Bethlehem, where we find shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And what we notice right away is the unspectacular nature of the recipients of this angelic message, right? It's, it's, it's shepherds. I mean, this is the long-awaited Messiah, okay, for, for years since, 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 since all the way back to, to Genesis chapter 3, been waiting for this one to come who will, who will crush the head of the serpent, okay? That the king is coming, and the first message to whom it goes is to a group of shepherds out in the fields, now, some have speculated the shepherds were the downtrodden of society, and that may be the case, but there's no evidence to prove that. But at the very least, they were common men with a, a common occupation, and, and they wouldn't be expected to be the first recipients of the message of Messiah's birth. 
But this is the case. So they're out in this field, and as they're watching their sheep, suddenly the, the angel appears, and we see that the glory of the Lord shines around them as the, as the angel comes. And so, so it's night, it's, it's quiet, it's, it's dark, and then suddenly an angel appears. Now just put yourself in the shoes of, or the sandals of these shepherds, right? This is, this is a, a fearful encounter. Not something they see every night or had ever seen at night. In the midst of the quietness and, and darkness, an angel appears. And what's their reaction? Well, what would your reaction and my reaction be, right? We're, we're told in the scriptures, they were filled with great fear. I like the, the Greek, there's two Greek words that are combined here. And it says they were filled with, and it says, megaphobia is the, is the way that it's described in, in Greek. And, they, and that translation says they were absolutely terrified. Okay, so this is, this is the setting. Now, this is the third angelic appearance in Luke chapter 1 and 2. Right, the first angelic appearance comes to Zechariah as he's in the temple announcing the birth of John the Baptist. The second, the angel comes to Mary and... and records the message of the birth of Jesus. And the, now this is the third. It's interesting that when the angels appear in these three encounters, that the same five things happen in, in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. So an angel appears, number one. The response in all three cases is fear. Number three, comforting words are, are spoken. Number four, a message about a child is given. And number five, there is a sign that confirms the truth of what has been spoken. And the same thing happens here in, in Luke chapter 2. All of these things appear. Now, all of these details set the stage for the angelic announcement that is given to these shepherds. And this is what we see in verses 10 through 12. Okay, notice this announcement. Okay, notice first there is the nature of the announcement. It is good news of great joy that will be for all people. Notice the content of it. it. For unto you is is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then notice the confirmation of it. Right? And this will be a sign for you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now let's look at the let's look at those the two aspects of that the, the the nature and the content of this announcement. So the nature of this announcement is we're first told it is described as good news. Now you're thinking, well, of course it's good news, right? A, a baby is born. You're like, what could be better news? I mean, I can remember when my, when my wife informed us after almost 10 years uh, that, that we were pregnant. I mean, that was, that was exceptionally good news. And I, I wept upon hearing the news. But the angel's message is not described as good news simply because Mary and Joseph were having a baby. Or because they, they, for a long time, wanted to have a baby and hadn't been able to have a baby. But, but it was good news because, not just that a baby was born, but because of what the birth meant. And notice also that the, the good news, it, it leads to great joy. So the reaction on the part of those who hear and receive of Jesus' birth, it, it's good news that is cause for rejoicing in our, our soul. It's not good news, it's just good news for someone else. But it's good news that causes joy in our own hearts. And it is good news of great joy that is for all people. So all people rejoice in this, in this good news. 
Okay, so it's good news of great joy for all people. But now notice the content in the next verse. Okay, we're told that a Messiah is born. Now, this past week, I, I watched a movie, and it was one of those movies where the, the end surprises you. And so then you get to the end, and you're like, now I have to watch the movie all over again because there were several little steps along the way that, that I missed. And so I did. I, I got my wife and my daughter, and when we, I sat down and watched the movie with them, and they were watching sort of unknowingly or ignorantly of, of all the little details that were important along the whole plot line. And as I'm watching it for a second time, I'm starting to connect all the dots that I never connected the, the first time through, right? Now, sometimes when we, when we read through a story like this, or we read Luke 2, but we haven't read the whole story of, of, of Luke, or the whole story of, of the gospel from beginning to end, we might not see the special details that are mentioned early on in the story that have significance for the big picture. Okay, but if you know the whole story of the gospel and you know that Jesus eventually dies on the cross and he rises again and he promises to come again, then you start to see the significance of little details here in Luke chapter 2. And that's what we see in these verses. When it tells us that this is good news because a Savior is born in the city of David who is Christ the Lord. Well, now we begin to understand that there's significance to these phrases like Savior and Christ and Lord because we know the whole story of, of the gospel. Okay, so consider these words. First, you have the word Savior, or this, this title, Savior. Now, it's interesting, in each one of the birth announcements, as you're going through Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, the idea of Savior or salvation plays a prominent role in the Christmas message. So the angel comes to, to Mary and, and announces you're going to have a baby and he's going to sit on the throne of his father David. And in verses 46 and 47 of, of Luke chapter 1, Mary says this, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So she's linking salvation to the child that's going to be born. Zechariah's song in verses 68 and 69, he says this as he, as he thinks about the role that his son John the Baptist is going to play in preparing the way for the Messiah. He says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David. Then he goes on in verse 77, he says, to give knowledge of, of salvation to his people for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so, so Zechariah, as he thinks about the coming of the Messiah, he's also linking the birth of the Christ to this concept of Savior and salvation. And then next week we'll come to Luke chapter 2 in, in Simeon's song, and we see that Simeon in the temple, he says, <coughs> excuse me, he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. And he says this, for my eyes have seen your salvation. So as you look through the birth announcements and the encounters that the angels have with these individuals and their responses, the prominent role, the, the, prominent, the prominent theme throughout these announcements is one of salvation. So we say at the heart of the birth announcements is the concept of 
salvation or Jesus coming as Savior. So this is why this is good news for all people. Because all people are in need of a Savior or in need of salvation. Right? So, so Zechariah in chapter 1, as we just read, he, he links it to the forgiveness of sins. Okay? The Messiah is coming for the forgiveness of sins. You remember in Matthew chapter 1, in verse 21, his name will be called Jesus, for he shall what? Save his people from, his, from their sins. This is the purpose of, of Christ's coming. See, there is a, a God, and he is holy and righteous. And he created all things, and you and I are accountable to to live and follow the commands and laws of of this God. Yet instead of accountability, what we want is autonomy. We want to rule our own lives, make our own decisions, and do what we want to do. We want to live for ourselves, and so we did. We, We rejected God, we broke his commands, we ignored his holy character and his laws, And it's not just that we've sinned occasionally, it's that to the core of our personhood, we are sinners that stand in a hostile relationship to God. And this is the condition of every man born to this earth, that we are lost in sin and deserving of God's just condemnation because of our sins. And so this is why Jesus came to earth, to be our Savior. He lived a sinless life that we couldn't live. And he died a sacrificial death that we deserved to die on the cross. So when Jesus dies on the cross at the end of this gospel story, when Jesus dies on the cross, he dies where we deserved to die, taking the punishment that we deserved to pay. And this is why the angel says that this is good news. It's good news because Jesus has provided salvation for us. And this is the reason why the angel says it's good news of great joy, because we don't have to stand righteous in in our own merit, but we stand in in the merit of another, that Christ has done everything necessary for us to stand righteous before God. And, And this is why the angel calls this message, good news of great joy, which shall be for all people, because it's not just a message for the intellectually elite, It's not just a message for for those who are impressive by the world's standards. It's not a message for the the morally upright people who just need a little bit of of help to, to make it all the way. No, this is a message for all mankind. And this is the message. If you turn from your sins and believe in the salvation that Jesus Christ has provided, then you receive forgiveness and grace, and an eternity spent with Christ. As the story unfolds later, what we see is this is a message for both shepherds and wise men. That there is no distinction. You don't have to be a certain moral character in order to to receive Christ, but rather you just have to acknowledge that you're a sinner in order to receive the forgiveness and grace of, of Christ. And we'll stop at the story this morning, but because it goes on from there and, and they do eventually go to Bethlehem and they, they see the baby and they rejoice and spread the word. But for our purposes, this gets at the meaning of Christmas. That Jesus came 
to be the Savior for our sins. So, this is the true meaning of, of, of Scripture, or the true meaning of, of Christmas. Now, my concern this morning is, is not merely to restore meaning to a holiday. Okay, like, okay, Memorial Day is not getting enough, uh, enough meaning, so we, we need to, to, to get away from the cookouts and, and get back to the meaning of Memorial Day, or the same with Thanksgiving or July 4th. I'm not concerned with putting meaning back into a holiday, so to speak. My, my, my main concern this morning is that perhaps there's someone here who has never understood the forgiveness of, of Christ or the reason why Christ came to this earth to be born in the first place. And to help you understand that, that this Christmas message, which turns into the Easter story, which ultimately turns into Christ's return for his people, that this is, this is a message for you. It is a message for all people. So if you've come this morning and, and you've, you've, never, you've never understood why Christians make such a big deal about Christmas or why they make such a big deal about Easter, it's because this is the essence of, 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 of our faith. That Jesus came as a child so that he could provide salvation that we in ourselves couldn't provide so that we might be forgiven and have an eternal home with God. And so if you've never understood the Christmas message, that's my goal this morning. That you would understand, understand the forgiveness and grace that's offered in Christ in the Christmas season. So if you're, you're here today and you're not a believer, you've never come to the place in your life where you've turned your life over to Christ, we would love to talk to you about how to become a Christian. And so after the service, we would love to answer any questions you might have, myself or any other pastors would love to take the scriptures and show you from God's word how you can know for sure that you have a right relationship with Christ. Let's pray together. (coughs) Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the clarity of it. We're thankful for the, the clarity that it tells us of why you came to this earth, the purpose and the mission that you did so that you could deliver us and save us from our sins. Lord, we come to you this morning as we reflect on this message with thankful hearts, giving glory to you for how good and gracious you have been to us. And our request this morning would be that you would take this truth, take this message, and allow it to penetrate the hearts of those who are here this morning who have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. No doubt in a, in a crowd this size, Lord, there are some who have never crossed the line into becoming a Christian. And they've come this morning maybe as an interested observer. Lord, would you, would you work in their heart this morning so that they would see their need to turn their life from a life of sin to a life of following after you in obedience and righteousness. So, Lord, would you do work this morning, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.